0: Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel with Elias. How you doing, bud? Hey, I'm doing real. I'm
1: doing really good. And before we really get going, I want to say happy birthday to you. This week is Uh your birthday week, so this is your birthday episode. It's my first birthday. First
0: birthday episode. I appreciate it. You're actually the second person to wish me happy birthday. I got a card in the mail from my grandma this morning. Um and interestingly enough, she called my mom. So my grandma called my mom and said, hey, can you tell Roger to check his mailbox? Because they know I only check my mailbox maybe like once a week or once every two weeks. Um, so I checked it today. First card is from Grandma. You're the second person to wish me happy birthday. So I appreciate that, Elias.
1: Well, that's good. I'm glad your grandma beat me to it because she probably should, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Every year when my birthday comes around, it's an exciting time for me. Cause because football season starts. You got it. Football season, professional, college, fantasy. Um, And I actually did my fantasy football draft the other night, and that kind of kicks it off for me. I get to go try to figure out who I think are going to be the best players. And what's interesting, how things have changed is, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, you'd buy like a you buy a magazine that was produced like in the middle of the summer and kind of give you the player rankings and start to do some research. This year's the first year I've ever done research in like this. And what I did is I actually went out and started looking at the betting lines for each individual player. So how many yards they're projected to get on the Vegas betting odds mm-hmm. because they're the smartest guys. The odds makers are the smartest guys out there. And I started to think about it and I'm like, why am I able today to go get the betting lines on every single you know, statistic out there and make decisions for my fantasy draft based upon it. And I started reading an article that came out in Advisors Perspective magazine, and it was called The Era of Online Gambling Has Arrived. And I started reading him like, aha, that's the aha moment. This is why I can get this information. And part of the reason is in 2018, the Supreme Court legalized sports betting in the United States. And it's obviously taken time for states to adapt. I remember for the longest time, you know, Daily Fantasy was available for a lot of states, but not here in Iowa. Um, I think this is just an absolute crazy shift in events of, hey, we can't gamble to. It's widely adopted mainstream and everybody's using it today. Um and over the weekend, I was watching football, obviously. I mean, preseason, this is as close as we get to the real thing. And there was some college football. But three different times I turned on my TV. And there was an advertisement or should we call it an um, a, uh, infomercial for DraftKings sports book. So what do you mean by infomercial? It was almost like, like, you know, you watch like the guy that sells the widget, like the Flex Seal guy. It was like they're doing an infomercial about... The DraftKings sports book and legalized online gambling.
1: Okay, yeah. So that's that's a big sign right there. Then if they're gonna spend spend the money to put on a big commercial, um, you know, they're really trying to get it in front of consumers, right?
0: Well, absolutely, and it's partly because it's taking off. I think the fantasy football world really drove. A lot of this daily fantasy sports and that, that kind of is morphing into why the U.S. legalized the gambling. And I always wonder, is this part of the gamification of the investment world? And we want this show to be about investing, but think about it. Robin Hood is an app that really gamifies investing just like a player now can pull up an app on their phone embed any game. In fact, I went. I'm like, oh, man, I want some action this weekend. So I pulled up my phone. I went to FanDuel, and I'm like, I'll put a little action on the Illinois-Indiana game. I'd never done that in my entire life. But Illinois, I just wanted Nebraska. a reason to watch the game. Yeah. That's it.
1: Right. So here was – so my take, which kind of goes in with what you're saying now, my take when you sent me this article and I read through it, That's kind of the the road I started going down was this is we're kind of entering into this gamification of gambling. And one of the the main points of the article was modern history of gambling provides valuable lessons for investors and the biggest gains are often made by the early investors. So I started thinking, okay, if you really want to bet on this, I mean, I agree with this. You, You should get in, get in early and then at some point. Maybe you got to get out while the getting's good cuz I'm just trying to think how does this progress? Well, people are addicted to their phones and scrolling through them. Now we're saying it's okay to get them addicted to gambling on their phone. And I just don't I don't see how that's going to last forever and I could be wrong, but at some point I feel like that's coming gambling's accessible in your pocket. This is going to cause problems for people.
0: Well, so this is maybe like maybe eight months ago, I was at my neighbor's house. And they're like, oh yeah, they were, they were betting college basketball. I'm like, okay, like these aren't people who gamble generally, but they're putting like $3 and 8 bucks and $2 on all these basketball games. I'm like, do you even know what you're betting? And they're like, well, no, I just put some money on so I could watch it. It is... It is the craziest thing because people don't know what they're doing. It's similar to what happened with Robin Hood the last year. They were buying options and didn't maybe even know what they were buying. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is recommended, so we'll do this. But I just thought that was interesting that I saw this article. And then what was the ad you told me you saw over the weekend talking about their sports book? The ad? I, I, I don't was know. Is it MGM? That, MGM. I think MGM was, maybe it's Molly who told us, MGM was touting their online gambling and streaming services for that, which it's MGM casinos. Um, So you've all of a sudden seen a lot of this advertising for this. And like you said, will it actually be profitable for somebody? I know who it's going to be profitable for the casino. The Uh, casino always wins. Is it entertainment? Absolutely. It is. And so I, I guess it's just, it's just really changed over the course of the last 20 years. I remember when, you know, you, if you want to make a bet, you had to find a local bookie who wasn't, you know, the most outstanding guy around probably. And, uh, right.
1: right. <laughs> so I wonder how, I wonder how this is going to, to impact, uh, you know, people running an, an illegal sports book, which I would think this will probably eat into some, some of their customers. They'll probably lose, but our, uh, like the online gaming services, are they offering – do they offer lines of credit? I don't know because I don't do any online gambling, but
0: – I don't know. So I don't know the answer to that question because all I've done is i got a few hundred bucks in a DraftKings account, and you know that's what I've got. I haven't really – I'm not a gambler. Yes. Yeah, like, so, I just don't right. do that. I play fantasy sports. So funny story. I thought last year in Iowa they legalized um, daily fantasy sports, and I yeah I think I'm good at fantasy sports. I do pretty well in my little home league. So I enter a few daily fantasies as like a, oh, like a beginner, whatever they have. Like they give you some, you play in some entry level people for like the first few weeks before, you know, they move you out of that little beginner level. You know, I want some money and I'm like, nah, man, I'm thinking I'm pretty good. So then all of a sudden one week I lose like a few hundred bucks. I'm like, nah, I can do, I'm better. I can, I can beat it. So I bet again. Lose another few hundred. Finally, I'm like, I'm done. I'm not that good at this. Like, there's guys who are doing this for a career, and I'm not. Like, I'm not a gambler. I enjoy playing fantasy sports, so I thought that would be fun. It actually wasn't that much fun because I just got
1: beat every single week. Um, yeah, so I have no interest in fantasy sports. I just, I never have, and um, I guess I, I would probably like it, but maybe that's why I've never picked it up. Is I think that's just one more hobby that I really don't need to spend time doing.
0: So Elias, it kind of leads me into this next topic. I was reading an article um, on MSN. I was talking about the typical millennial, the typical millennial to kind of meet what they are. They have about $128,000 in debt. They're not as wealthy as their parents. Um, and the oldest millennial generation turns 40 this year. And, you know, we'd put this outline together and while I'm reading it, I'm just starting to think, okay, well, all of the technology stuff that they're involved with, you know, they're all the tech generation. They've got their phones. They have all this stuff they can utilize their fingertips. They know how it works much better than I. Is part of the reason that they're $128,000 in debt on average, they have more debt than wealth. Is it because they have this little phone and everything they do is accessible, but it all costs money. Everything from I'm on Facebook and I see this really cool pair of shoes in an ad and I click it and I buy it to everything I need for my house is on Amazon. So I spend 10 times as much as I really need to because I'm buying a bunch of stuff I don't need. And oh, by the way, I love fantasy sports and now I can bet on it every single week. And they're not having to bet huge sums of money, but they're able to nickel and dime themselves to the point where they don't have anything left. It just makes me wonder, is this millennial generation, the one who's gonna suffer the most, From all of the technological innovations, even though they're seen as positive, maybe they're actually negative for a lot of people from a wealth building standpoint, because none of this was out there. When my parents were raising me as a child, my parents don't get on DraftKings on their phone and make bets and they don't play fantasy sports. And I just wonder, is this all kind of eroding the wealth of the millennial generation? So all those things, I mean, it's, it's
1: probably a combination of all of them, right? It's kind of all those things contributing. I guess my, my feeling when I was reading through this, the increased, um, the increased average in debt from previous generations to me, probably the easy place to look for that, that's probably increases in student loans because tuition goes up over time. And I think just as time goes, more and more people are going to college and, um, and then financing that through student loans. But then absolutely all the things you're talking about, that helps contribute to that. Um, and it probably... The kind of the bottom line as far as building wealth is maybe there's people who just never got started and for whatever reason it could be. But I would say even at 40 years old, it's not really too late. Yeah. Is it easier and better if you start when you're 25? Yeah, absolutely. It is.
0: But it's not too late to get started. Um, That's actually a good point because... We did an episode. I don't know. I think it was episode 49. I actually had a bunch of emails from people that I know saying, hey, this is your best episode. Really enjoyed it. But what I really liked most is how we talked about a budget. And Which episode was it? It was episode 49. I had a client, spe- actually not a client, but a friend specifically reference it. Say, I had all my kids listen to this about a budget. And if you remember, we talked about in that show the problem with budgeting and that it always starts with paying somebody else first. Correct. Well... You know, if we start paying ourselves first and we go to the top of the stack, right? So we pay ourselves the first hour we work every day. Well, then it doesn't really matter what people do with their additional dollars because they're going to build wealth. The problem is, I'm looking down here in some of these notes, and the typical millennial owns, you know, a home. Well, what if happened to home prices today? They've skyrocketed never. up. Yeah. And it's a function. So they're adding more debt. Now, granted, that debt's being locked in at probably a fairly low interest rate that we believe is low today. We don't know what the interest rate environment holds. Everybody believes they'll go up. But I've told the story. I've been saying that for 20 years. They've never gone. I mean, they just haven't gone up. They went down lower. Um, so, you know, getting started is really the way that people can really start building massive wealth. It's not trying to win at gambling or taking it. Out. It's literally just getting started.
1: Yeah, and that was going to be one of my other questions and some of my other kind of speculation is even though there's a higher average debt for this generation, well, and at 40 you're still growing into your career and people are still going to keep making more and more money. So, if that average of 128,000 is financed at what rates are now, and your wage continues to grow, is it, is it a big deal or is it just the situation you're in? But as your wage grows and your debt either stays the same or most likely starts coming down, so that's not a huge problem, I don't think. Um, but that was kind of something else I was thinking about. Well, well, how does the low interest rate environment play into this where baby boomers, what they were buying houses at 15% mortgage rates and I mean, I guess I don't know what rates were in the 80s. I know they've been that high. So that's, that was another thing I was curious about is what is the actual interest rate on all this debt that we're referencing?
0: So it's a good point. Our parents and grandparents pay the highest interest rates on their mortgages when they took them out to build their wealth. Our generation's paying the lowest. Arguably, if interest rates go up, and you took a loan that's locked in at 2.75%, and, it, and we have inflation and interest rates go to three, three year, 3% year on the 10-year, which is a pretty dramatic increase for about 1.2%. That's good for the person who locked in the interest rate at 275 because that means there's some inflation, interest rates are going up, um, and they should be able to handle the debt. Whereas for the low interest rate environment for retirees today, It's a horrible situation. It's really hard to get income for somebody that you don't have to take some excessive risk to get dividends and interest out to them. And what I mean by that, we all learn one of the first rules of investing is the higher return you get, typically the more risk you're taking. So I looked at a client statement the other day, it's a new client. Obviously they brought everything over from the other person. That an investment they're paying a dividend of 12%, 12%. So that's a
1: good dividend, that's gonna get someone's attention. Oh, 12% dividend, sounds great. It looks good.
0: The problem is, if you think about it, to get 12%, and let's say the market's average over 50 years, 10, and they're paying 12, that means you're probably taking more than market risk to get it. But people see a six and 7% dividend, they think they have to have that, they're taking risk to get it. So it's become this little dangerous cycle for people They're looking out saying, boy, I need to drive X amount of income for my for my retirement. And they're buying things they don't know. Right. This client had some leveraged um, closed end funds in there. They had no idea what it was. They asked what we were going to put in. I said, please explain what you own now. They're like, well, I don't really know. And because our dividend was the best
1: part of the meeting, I kind of felt like for them, that was like the aha moment where all they
0: saw was this big dividend. Yeah. But it was coming with a ton of risk that they didn't see. So we quantified it through, you know, an investment analysis. Uh, But they just didn't understand why they couldn't get that dividend. I said, well, you might be able to. It's just more risk than you need to or should be taking, which we quantified through a financial plan, right? That's the way we were able to do it. It wasn't just us saying this is good or bad. I went through and said, hey, really, we can invest this money in about, you know, five or six different ways that provide you the highest probability of success. But the way in which you're doing it now is not one of those ways. It and actually they, lowered their probability of success because of all the variance and all the uh, the risks they were taking in this portfolio. Even though the dividend looked good and it was built to generate dividends, well, that's great. It's not what they needed to have.
1: Right, and my opinion of the situation was they weren't being rewarded for the risk they were taking either. They, had,
0: they were taking more than market risk and they were making about half of the market return. And it was Rich, pretty easy. You can, to get, you can to,
1: get that result in a very boring portfolio.
0: Well, that's what, that's what we did. And we told them that we can have a boring portfolio and do this. Um, but that's a way to really quantify it for somebody. But back to the millennial. And you know, as much as we talk about this millennial generation and maybe they're in more debt, uh, maybe they're not as good as savers, there's a faction of people in this generation that actually are super diligent savers. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but the fire movement that's out there. So I ran across an article um, on MSN called the 29 early retirement tips, strategies and tricks and hacks. So, you know, these people or people that are millennials that want to retire early, they're figuring out how much money they think they need right? F- FIRE stands for Financially Independent retire Retirely. So you'll see things where people are saving seven, 70% of their income. And they're only focused on, hey, I, w- I want to retire. But I think there's some things they should be thinking about. And there's 29 things in here. I'm not going to go over all of them. But number two, in my opinion, is one of the most important things. And my parents are within two years of retirement. And this is actually what I asked them. It wasn't, do you have enough money? We're going to financial plan. We'll make sure all that happens. Understand why you want to retire and what you want to do in retirement. And I've seen this time and time again. Yep, I'm going to retire. I'm going to play golf with my buddies all summer. And guess what? You're talking about me or you? I've had a client. This is a true story. I'm going to retire. Retired. I think it was like 61. I just went, he was done. He was tired of working at the job he was at. But he didn't put a whole lot of thought into what retirement really looked like. He just saw it as I don't work anymore and I'm going to play golf. And golf and I was really fun for the first summer. And then guess what happened in about November? The the, the golf courses the closed. Went below freezing. <laughs> they went below freezing. Yeah. And he's like, man, I'm really, I don't have anything to do. I'm really bored. I have to figure something out. So he got a part-time job. So now he's back working 20 hours a week. And I just wonder in that situation, had he really thought through what retirement looked like, well, you made a different choice. And this is what I told my parents. I said, before you decide to pull the trigger, let's figure out what you're going to do. What is your purpose in retirement going to do? Because if you retire and don't have purpose, a couple things happen, right? One, I've seen this. The medical capacity starts to deplete because they're just not engaged in society, start to lose self-confidence And the individuals I know that have retired early with no purpose, typically don't have as good of a retirement as the person who worked part-time and had a little purpose or volunteered or all those different things. So I think out of all these 29, this is like one of the top ones. What are you going to do when you're retired?
1: Yeah, and kind of from that same perspective for younger people, you know, what a good question, like why are you investing? What do you want this money to do with you or to do for you in the future? Like what what's your motivation for doing this? And And I bring that up because sometimes uh, sometimes meeting with people uh, we get the comment you maybe ask them your well like what's your motivation for doing this or what's going to make you happy if you're working with us and and you've probably heard this answer I know I've heard this answer well I want to beat the market and to me that's a comment that like that's that doesn't really answer the question because just wanting to beat the market to have more money that doesn't like that doesn't, that's not a real motivation for why someone should build wealth. And that really doesn't, as far as helping someone with investment management or financial planning, that really doesn't help me understand what you want. And to me, that's, like a, that's just an arbitrary thing. I don't really know where people get that idea.
0: Let me tell you why beating the market's irrelevant. If you have $10,000 and you beat the market every year for the next 10 years, can you retire? No. There you go. It's irrelevant. What's relevant is that you have a systematic savings plan to build wealth that's well-written, well-thought-out, a crafted financial plan, and you're investing with purpose. Investing to beat the market? Well, you could be the greatest investor in the world, but if you've never saved any money, it doesn't matter. I'll never forget. I have a friend of mine. Hey, you're going to make me rich. No, I'm not. You're going to make yourself rich because you're going to have to save the money. You're going to have to do the hard work. I mean, the hard work is on the individual to save the money, put the money away and build wealth. Beating the market's not relevant. Most people can't do it. Why is index investing so popular? It's easy and it's it easy works. It's easy and it works. Um so beating the market it's completely irrelevant. What's a, what's relevant is figuring out how much you need to save on a systematic basis to get to where you need to go. Um, and really it's investing with purpose. One of the things we do for people who are retired because there's a shift from the accumulation phase when we're saving our money to the point in time where we're going to go um, and move them into the distribution phase, we put together that buckets of money because what it does is it gives people purpose for their money. Their you know their liquid bucket, their income bucket, their growth bucket, their legacy. We create purpose for people by doing that.
1: I really like how you use the uh, that phrase investing uh, investing with purpose and give purpose to your money because I I know for me personally, um, I just like wanting to have more just for the sake of having more like that's that's there's no purpose there. So there's really not much I feel like I can help someone with when that's this when that's kind of the feedback I'm getting. Well, I just want more. Well, wanting more is like to me, that's irrelevant. What do you actually want to do? What's this money going to do for you? How is this going to make your life better? Yeah, Those are way more important in my mind. I guess that was kind of the point I was getting to.
0: I agree with that. I moved on to another one, and this one I think is actually really important before you retire, but it's get a handle on how much you're spending. And I can't tell you how many times I've had a person come in, and when we do a goals-based financial plan, it says how much do you plan on spending in retirement? Right? How much do you spend each month? And
1: And and as far as like the data we need to know, how much people are spending? Where does that rank in importance?
0: Like one. I mean, yeah. there's no way to do a financial plan if you don't have a plan on what you're going to spend. And this is funny. So I asked my parents this question. because we're, you know, we're redoing their financial plan because they've moved up their retirement in a few years. How much do you guys spend? My mom's like, well, not very much because, you know, the house paid for. They don't have many bills. I go, no, you don't get it how much do you spend? Not very much doesn't answer Yeah, the that doesn't answer the question right. because people don't think about it. When I ask someone how much they spend, they think about, well, I have my cell phone and my utilities, and my groceries. That's not how much people spend, if it was everybody would have lots of extra money. How much do you spend includes vacations and traveling and presents and discretionary dollars, all those things. Birthday cards, all that kind of stuff. I, I mean, I've had people come in here and they say, hey, I don't know how much I spent. I'm like, you got to. That's the first thing you have to figure out. I don't care what the number is, but you got to get a grip on what you're spending because you can make a mistake on spending in the accumulation phase while you're saving money and you're working and you make a mistake. You buy something you can't afford. You can work your way out of it, right? You can make more money. You can get a part time job. When you retire, you can't make a mistake because you have what you have. Right. Your only option is go get back in the workforce. And once you've been out of the workforce for four or five years, I don't think you're going to get back in with a very good paying job. So getting a handle on your spending is critically important to determine, you know, how you can retire. Um, I'm moving on to another one that says shift your mindset on spending. And that's what I'm talking about there. We've talked about the three phases of retirement. Everybody... When they come in, we'll say, hey, well, you know, if you don't know what you're spending, what are you spending now? Uh, I spend everything I make. Great. Whatever. You'll spend more your first two or three years of retirement than you did before you retired. And people go, why? And I said, well, let me tell you about the three phases of retirement. There's three phases. The first one's the go-go phase. As soon as you retire, you're going to do all the stuff you've never been able to do because you had an employer. Right? You're going to go take the vacation. You're going to go see the kids. You're, you will spend more money your first year in retirement than the year before you retired. So that's the go-go phase. And then you hit the second phase, which is the slow-go phase. And that's where you still want to do all the things you've done, but you've been to Mexico and you've been to Ireland and you've done all these big elaborate trips and you're just starting to slow down. You're like, I'm good going to Kansas City or whatever the vacation is. Partly just because you can't do it, right? You start to slow down over time and you're just not able to do it. And the last phase is the the no-go phase. And that's where you actually need assistance to live And all three of those periods of retirement have a different amount of money but what do people do when they do a financial plan
1: they just project out of what their expenses linear, are for the yeah, month linear expense or
0: whatever yeah and if you have desires to travel in fact we had somebody this is like three months ago call me up what's the maximum vacation i can afford to go take every year how much more can i spend to go on vacation.
1: That's a great That's a great question. Yeah.
0: He's 72. Called him back. I said, Hey, you can spend like another 17,000, 18,000 a year if you want for like the next eight years. I said, But let's be realistic. After eight years, are you really going to be going on that trip? And he's like, No, no, probably not. Do it okay, now. Okay. So there, we got the answer to our question. Instead of just making it this static number of, Oh my gosh, 18,000 a year and it doesn't work, it's only 18,000 for a few years. And will he actually spend that? There's no way. I know the guy. He won't spend that amount of money. On the vacation, he'll take a nice one though, and he ha- he can do it with confidence now. And no, it's not going to put his retirement at risk, and be yeah. scared to go spend the money.
1: And he's not right, like you're saying there. There's no get. There's no guessing. The decision was was quantified, so it can be made with confidence, and you can be comfortable with it. And it's not an arbitrary number that no one knows if it makes sense or not.
0: So. There's 29 things in here Elias. if anybody wants the article go to our website we'll post it but the one thing i didn't actually see in here that i think is the number one thing people should do if they want an early retirement get a financial plan all of this can be quantified by doing a financial plan we have the ability to tell somebody you should be saving x if you want to retire at 52 years old what do we need to do? We need to have, you know, establish some buckets of money to pull out of your retirement dollars probably won't be available. So we have to plan for that. But the number one thing people can do is get a retirement financial plan. If you need one, you can go to btwellshow.com. We're more than happy to help you. There's a link right on there that says, click, get a plan. It's the number one thing people should do if they want to retire early, because we can quantify what needs to be done with some level of certainty.
1: Yeah, do we, do we have time? I can share one story about that.
0: Yeah, it'd be a great way to close the show.
1: So new new client, um, younger kid. He's only 25 or 26 years old and has a really good job right now. And he wants to, through the meeting process, asking him, what do you want us to do for you? What are you looking for help with? Um, so he, at age 50, he's not sure he's going to retire, But he grew up on a family farm and now he's working full time at his career, but he helps his dad part time on the farm. So he said, well, when I'm like 50, I want to be able to just retire and farm full time if I if I can. I want the ability to do. I don't know that I will ever do that. But that's really what I want to be able to do. And he's already doing the hard things. He's a diligent saver. He does a good job with his budget. So it's easy to work with him. But it was. put together a plan for him and he knows exactly how much money he needs to save every month to accomplish that goal and so for him after going through the process um he said well this is great now i just i used to wonder if that would be something i could do well now i feel like i'm actually going to do it and um yeah anyway and i just said well that's what we're here for we're here to help you do those type of things and it's we just use the software and it really makes our job easy.
0: Well, it makes it fun too, because now you're going to be able to watch that individual and, you know, have a scorecard yourself. Can we get him here? Every right. single year you're redoing that plan and updating it It'd Be really neat, And that's the satisfaction that, you know, we're not making any money to do that. Let's be honest. You got a 25 year old doing a Roth IRA, but the payoffs down the road, he's going to be a great client. Mm-hmm. He appreciates what you've done. You've, put a level of sense of security with him. And I think that's exactly why we do what we do. It's to literally help people quantify what needs to be done and where they need to go. Um, because and not too many people do it. They like to slide in sideways to retirement. We want to uh, eliminate the words from people's vocab- vocabulary of I want, I hope, I think.
1: Yeah. And the other, the other kind of thing I realized working with him was when he told me what he could afford to save every month, which maybe I take this for granted sometimes. I'm thinking, well, that's a no brainer. You're going to have lots of money when you're 50 years old. And it's one thing to tell someone that. But then when I when we're able to show them, I think it's a lot different. And that's what the financial plan does is you can show them. And then there's a visual with it where now there's a, a level of conviction that wasn't there. If I just say, oh, yeah, that amount of money, that'll work.
0: Yeah, it increases their confidence level. Versus, you know, I always tell people, I believe my opinion's good, but I just assume back it up with financial data and some statistics. So that said, um, if anybody wants help getting a financial plan, go to btwellshow.com. Until next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.